The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning. I hope you're doing well today, enjoying that rain. It's been so little rain. We've been in such a drought. I just uh, really... So that was, that was sarcasm, so I was doing my best. Um, anyways, we're in a series called um, I Promise, and today is part four. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to take notes, and uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, that works as well. And um, we'll get to Genesis 22 here in a few moments. I just want to take a moment and mention, too, I know you saw Men's Conference up on the screen there this Friday, Saturday, but if you haven't signed up yet, I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to have a great time heading down there together, spending some time there together, being challenged, being encouraged, having some fun, making some memories together. But if you're a guy and you haven't signed up, consider it. Love to see you get dialed in because we're going to have a blast Friday night and Saturday. It ends, I think, about one o'clock on, on Saturday, but it'd be great. Um, if I say the phrase medical provider, I think most of us probably cringe. Um, you think about the, uh, just the world of medical coverage and you know, HMOs and primary care physicians and this whole world that's kind of a labyrinth. We don't feel amazing about it. It can be very confusing. It doesn't feel at all like they're on our side. They're gonna get theirs. I always marvel that you know, we can name stadiums after you know, all these different medical insurance companies and stuff, um, and yet the high cost of, of medical is insane. And so we get this kind of stressed anxiety, frustration when it comes to this picture of medical coverage. And they have the audacity to say a medical provider, um, and it's really kind of a misnomer because it doesn't feel like they're providing very well. I say that because in some ways, it's easy to translate that kind of stress or anxiety into our picture of who God is. And what I mean is sometimes we have this idea that God is not on our side, that we're never quite good enough, that there's sort of an annoyance, we're confused about how this spiritual dynamic works, and it doesn't feel very warm and fuzzy, you know, us and our relationship with God. In fact, sometimes when we say God is our heavenly father, there's people that cringe about that for various reasons. And I want to challenge those reasons today because the truth is we have a God who does care. We have a God who wants to take care of us. But the question is, do we trust? Do we trust that that's true? And so I want to look at the ultimate example that happens. And I think it's really in Genesis chapter 22. It's a pretty poignant story. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. But Genesis 22 verse 1 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And some of you guys are like, what in the world? Okay. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Jesus, I want to stop and pray as I always do and, and ask that you would just through your spirit help us understand. We pray that you would, you would give us insight into why this story is such a big deal. And I pray that not only would we understand it, but it would enlighten the conviction in us about how we live and what you're asking of us. We thank you for your work. We surrender to you and we're grateful for your grace in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham. And it opens up in verse one, some time later, God tested Abraham. 
It's key to remember that that's the opening of this section of Genesis. God is testing Abraham. For any of us that have been in the faith for any length of time, I would imagine that you've been tested. In fact, by a raise of hands, how many would say you faced different tests of your faith? Yeah. It's just the nature of us walking out our faith. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus in James 1 says what? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. And you go like, are these writers drunk? Because that doesn't sound fun to me. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds. And then James says, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We all want a spirit of perseverance. We don't want to be tested, so we get there, right? That's just how it goes. We just download it, give it to me, but don't make me go through stuff to get there. And yet God says to Abraham that he, we understand that God is, is working in Abraham a test. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, talking about trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And so what God is doing here with Abraham is testing his faith. And so it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham's response is, here I am. And that's said with a sense of surrender. That's said with a sense of enthusiasm. I am here, what do you want from me? I am here, what can I do for you? That's Abraham's attitude. It's similar to later on in scripture in Samuel, the boy Samuel is being trained up as a priest under a guy named Eli. When he's a little boy, Samuel hears God's voice and he runs to Eli and what does he say? Here I am. In other words, what do you need me to learn? What do you need me to know? And Eli's like, I didn't call for you. And it happens a bunch of times. And it turns out Samuel is the first time he was hearing God's voice for himself. Okay. So Eli tells him to, when he hears it again, say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. That's the spirit with which Abraham responds to God in the midst of this test. God says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. It pales in comparison to what happens in Genesis 3 when sin enters the world and, and Adam and Eve, it says that God shows up in the garden and what do they do? They don't go, here I am. They go, oh no. You know, they're like hiding. It's the opposite. So Abraham's attitude ought to be our attitude even in the midst of tests. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 30 years this week. I celebrate that. I love that. I'm excited about that. 30 years of following Jesus. Early on, two claps. Just kidding. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> early on in, in, in my journey with Jesus, I would pray this prayer, I think maybe daily, but if not almost daily, God, just work in my life. God, would you just work in my life? And what I meant it as was I'm in a place of surrender. God, I want you to do whatever you want to do in me. Work in my life. I want to be all you want me to be. My attitude was, God, here I am. And after a while, I stopped praying that prayer. Anybody know why? Because God started working in my life. It's like, this is uncomfortable. This isn't fun. This hurts. This is painful. But what God is doing is like what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. We're being refined like gold in the fire. We're going through trials and James says you go through those so that your faith can be refined, so that your faith can be sharpened, so you can become mature and complete. And we want to be mature and complete, which means we're going to be tested. If you're a follower of Jesus, how many would agree you're going to be tested? Raise your hands, okay? If your hand's not up, you're missing it. 
Hands, that was your chance right there. I'll give you another one later. Okay, so, so Abraham says, here I am. And then God said, listen to this, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Here I am. Oh, wait, do what? Oh, bad connection. I don't think I heard you, Lord. I'm not sure I, I get what you're saying here. We, we all in this moment go, what in the world is going on? In fact, to be honest with you, I wanted to find another text to speak out of because I don't like this story. I don't like what's going on here. I have kids of my own. I would do anything to protect their lives. I would, do, I would jump in front of a bus. There's something about for the people that I love dearly, like my wife and my kids, that I would do anything to spare them pain, to spare them suffering. God says, take your son. Now I want you to notice, he says, take your son, your only son. If you've been a reader of scripture, how many of you guys are aware that, that that's not exactly true? You guys know that? Why? Right, because Abraham has already had Ishmael. What this means specifically is this. When it says, take your son, your only son whom you love, it specifically means the child of the promise. So let, let me rewind for a moment and explain a little bit. If you rewind five chapters from Genesis 22 to Genesis 17, it says this in verses 15 through 22. Be a note taker. God also said to Abraham, as far as Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So God gives this promise and we could easily go, well, that could be any son. If they have a whole bunch of sons, that could be any son. How do we know it's this promise that comes up um, later? He gets, God gets more specific with Abraham. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Now, I don't need to know the anatomy of what's going on here for him to say that, but he goes on to say, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? I don't know what a 90-year-old looks like in labor, but it's probably not great. I know you're like, TMI, I get it, I get it. So here's Abraham, and he laughs. He chuckles, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not gonna work. And then he goes on to talk about Sarah, and it says, and Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He's already had Ishmael. The problem is Ishmael didn't come from Sarah. Ishmael came from Hagar. And it was their plan in doing things their way for them to have a child that would be that lineage, part of that promise. So Sarah at one point says, why don't you go have a child with my, my you know, servant Hagar because I clearly can't have kids. And Abraham's like, all right, which he shouldn't have done that. But anyway, um, then God said, verse 19, yes, but, and this is where I want you to look at how specific this gets. Yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. 
He goes on to talk about the promise to Ishmael. Fine, I'll bless him too. But then verse 21, but my covenant I will establish, here it is again, with Isaac, whom Sarah, this is where it gets very specific because you can say, well, just name a bunch of kids Isaac and maybe it's one of them. No, no, there's one. Whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Five chapters before and years before Genesis chapter 22, God gives this promise to Abraham. And I want you to notice how it plays out in Hebrews 11. If you've ever read Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews writes this chapter. We call it Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And it talks about by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, Rahab. By faith, you know, Noah. By faith, David. And he talks about Abraham in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him. So there it is, Genesis 22, being mentioned in Hebrews 11. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, I want you to notice that. He, he believed God's promises from Genesis 17. He who embraced, okay, God, I trust that you're gonna, even though I'm old, even though Sarah's old, I trust you're gonna do this, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, this is Hebrews 11, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Okay, I'm trying to give you the whole picture here. Now, if you go to James chapter two, another mention of Abraham comes up. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15. It's a quote from there. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So you get this picture from James 2, from Hebrews 11, from Genesis 17, that, that Abraham was aware of this promise about Isaac. So somehow in the midst of him doing what he's called to do, yes, it's a test, but I want you to notice how Abraham responds. If you look at the test, um, it's before the law is established and Abraham moves forward with what he's asked to do. But I want you to understand this. There are all kinds of crazy things that are asked about or talked about in the Bible. There's a point where armies come together to rout foreign, Israel's army comes together to rout foreign armies. And at certain points, God says to them, bring out the musicians and have them go out and the music is gonna defeat the armies. Like, What? Okay, there's another part where anybody remember the name Jericho by any chance? Jericho. How was Jericho defeated? Here's what I want you guys to do. For six days, you're going to march around Jericho one time. You're not going to say anything, but every day you're going to march around the whole thing. You're not going to say anything. Just march around it. Okay? On the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. The last time you march around the city, I want you to blow trumpets and I want you to yell and all the walls are going to fall down. What? That's not the way walls fall down. Anybody ever heard of the prophet Ezekiel? If you've ever read Ezekiel in scripture, he's a prophet of God, 
But at different times, he was called to do certain things like, I want you to take off your garments and I want you to shove them in a wall for a while. And once they get kind of gross and nasty, pull them out of the wall, cut them up and mail them all over the nation of Israel. That's my heart towards Israel. Like what? And then another point, God says, I want you to cook over dung. All right. Another time, God says, I want you to lay on your side for days and weeks and months even. And Ezekiel does it. All these weird things. Do you know who Hosea is in scripture? Another prophet. Do you know what Hosea was asked to do? Anyone? Bueller? Marry a prostitute. With the understanding that, Hosea, you're going to marry a prostitute named Gomer. She's going to continue to be a prostitute, but I want you to stay married to her. What? God says, I'm trying to reveal my heart to a nation, Israel, that keeps prostituting themselves to other gods. Go marry her. And then most of us in this room take for granted the story of a God, of a God who became flesh. God who came in the form of a baby, born in a manger of a poor family that grew up and taught crowds and performed miracles, but then died. God died. And that can seem like, yeah, that's our story. But it's pretty weird if you think about it. And yet it's amazing what God did in redemption for you and for me through Christ. There's all of these crazy things that go on. And at this point, before the law is established, what we understand is this is a test for Abraham. And, and, and so it reflects his heart. Again, this is his only son. His promise is going to die. But Abraham believed God would do something. He just didn't know what. Verse three, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I appreciate a ton, his immediate obedience. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood, for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and my boy go over there. Look at the wording here. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Theologians agree that there's a hint here that Abraham had an idea that God could do something amazing or that, that, yeah, that God could do something amazing. Verse six says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham verse verse eight, Abraham answered. And I want you to read these four words with me. Abraham answered, you ready? God himself will provide. Abraham, in the midst of understanding that this child is a child of a promise, that, that nations will be reckoned because of Isaac, he, he, in obedience, does what God asked him to do. This is a test of his faith, but he's willing to go all the way. I can't imagine the moment that this little boy speaks up to me. That would be the heart-wrenching moment because of the way that you and I, we love our kids. And so here he is, and he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
And the two of them went on together. Verse nine, here we're getting to it. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And I love verse 11. I'm not gonna skip it or pause here. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he says it with emphasis, emphatically. It's not a whisper. It's not a random voice he would have not heard. Abraham, Abraham. And I love the response. Here I am. Like, I'm happy to remove. Then I'm happy to stop what I'm doing. I'm happy to be obedient. I don't want to do this. But if you call out, all of a sudden, Abraham pauses. And I really believe he's hoping that God would intervene. But here's that phrase again, because Abraham is a man of surrender. Here I am. I'm listening. I'm ready to do whatever you want. Do not lay a hand on the boy. I don't know about you, but I feel like I would crumble weeping at that moment. Like, thank God I didn't have to do something so terrible. Thank God I didn't have to follow through with something I I knew, God, you asked me to do. And I don't know why you asked me to do it, but you did. Thank God I didn't have to do it. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. And then listen to this. Now I know that you fear God because, whoops, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse, chapter 22, verse one opens up with understanding God tested Abraham. And I love how when you get to verse 12, he passes the test. Now I know you haven't withheld anything. Now I know that you've done something incredibly sacrificial. You've made the ultimate sacrifice, which by the way, this is a foreshadowing of what God would do in Christ. This story is a foreshadowing of what God would do in Christ. Look at verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And then look at this. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham has such a profound experience with the Lord, his God, such a profound moment where he's going to walk in obedience. He passes the test, but I can't imagine the emotions he felt that all of a sudden, because of the profound experience, he gives God a brand new name. And the name is the Lord will provide. For some of you, you know this name as Jehovah Jireh. There was a song sung about it years ago. I remember, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Anyway, so, okay, I'm gonna be a worship leader someday. I'm not gonna be, anyway. Abraham says, the Lord is my provider. I'm willing to do whatever I need. I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I need to because I believe God is my provider so much so that that's gonna be one of his titles. And you look throughout scripture and there are all kinds of titles. There are all kinds of ways that we refer to our heavenly father. But Abraham said in that moment, God is such an incredible provider. And I love how the last part to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. He goes from complete desperation to complete provision. And it's similar to another mountain we call Calvary. God is our provider. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 
Verse 15 says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son or child of the promise, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and in the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of their cities of the enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. In the end, because Abraham gave up what he cherished, God saw that he was fully surrendered and God blessed him. And I'm gonna be honest with you, for you and I, I don't know what it might be that it is that you cherish so much, but God wants us to be willing to say, Lord, this is yours, I'm simply a steward. And for some of us, it's how we view our kids. I understand sometimes our kids go through things and there have been people in this room that have lost children and I don't know that pain, but I can't imagine. At the same time, you and I are stewards of of our kids. They're God's kids. It's understanding that nothing in fact is ours. For some of us, it's learning what it means to sacrifice our time to lean into being part of the body of Christ together. It's why we talked about a class we call SHAPE. We're doing it on Mondays and if you haven't jumped in yet, Tomorrow night's another one, 6.30, right here in this room. We have it available online as well, and you can still sign up, grove.church or our app. But understanding, God has asked us to sacrifice some, sometimes it's our time. And for some of you, go, that's, that's a challenge because I don't have a lot of that. But God would say, how are you a part of advancing kingdom work that way? Time and talents, our abilities. Sacrificing our, our agenda, sometimes in the morning to carve out to God, I'm gonna read, and, read scripture and pray and learn what that means. Believing that God can multiply my hours going about my work because I leaned into him first. But another part of this that I wanna talk about today gets real uncomfortable and it's a conversation about money. It's understanding that some of us put such a value on money that it's ours, mine, and I get to do with what I want, but it's not mine, I'm simply a steward of it. One of the things God challenges us as followers of Christ is generosity, is giving is setting aside a sum of what we get in order to advance kingdom work. It's why at the end of our guy we say, we're gonna collect the giving. And I know we get rolled eyes and I understand how people feel about it, but I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm here to help you understand that we are stewards. And some of us, that's what we cherish. We find comfort in that nest egg growing. But what happens is we begin to find our identity there. I feel good, I feel comfortable, I can provide. Or we have enough margin our income that when we're stressed out or frustrated or annoyed, we go out and have an expedition that makes us feel good or buy something, find our identity. And wow, it's new. It feels good to have something new. When what God wants to do is break that in our lives. There's all kinds of ways to look at this, but on my heart today is the promise God is our provider, but do we believe that and do we trust him? This is that generosity conversation. And we are stewards, managers. From old covenant to new, God has always asked his people to be involved in being generous, always. But God has also provided and blessed over and over and over. But do we believe that? It's one of the most tangible ways for you and I to walk out our faith. And while I may not talk about this a lot, and people get really weird about it, nevertheless, here we are. And I would be doing you a disservice to skip over it. As the temple was constructed, people gave willingly and ended up being blessed. Proverbs 3, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. 
honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me. This is the only place this has ever said that way. Test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room for you to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, the vines and your fields will not drop their fruit before it's rife, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. Jesus said a lot about it. I don't know if you read the scriptures, but if you do, Jesus says a lot about this. I'll just give you a couple of references, just sprinkling them in. Matthew 6, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, reveals where your heart is. He goes on in in, in Luke chapter 12, he talks about the story of a rich person who's foolish and they make all kinds of wealth and they build silos and they store it up over. He sits back and goes, look at all this. I got, it's amazing. I can just chill. God says, don't be foolish. Your life will be demanded of you now and you've missed out on your need to be generous towards eternity. Throughout the book of Acts, there's more things. Jesus has a ton. Throughout the book of Acts, we see this attitude of generosity. What does it look like to surrender some of my resources? That was their attitude over and over. How can we help? How can we show God's love? How can our commitment to Christ be tangible? Paul says this to the church in Corinth. If you're writing down notes, 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times having all you need will you will abound in every good work there are I'm going to I'm skipping over a ton but over and over there's something about for you and I and there's other ways to look at it I get that but I'm not going to avoid this one what does it look like for you to be sacrificial financially what does it look like for you to be invested in things that are eternal and not just temporal. God asks us to look at it that way. And God does say, he'll bless us. Now, let me be careful here. It doesn't mean we give to get. It doesn't mean we give going, all right, what's mine now? I'm entitled to something. And there are all kinds of ways that God can bless us that that don't equate to resources coming right at us. I give 10 and I get 100 back, amazing. It's like there's an emergency. But the simple fact is, if we wanna break resources being all about us, giving is part of that equation. And I think we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to be sacrificial like that? Because for some, that's what hits home. Like I said, for some, it might be the time. It might be using your gifts for kingdom stuff. It might be carving out that, that morning for some prayer, believing that God's gonna multiply the time you have as you spend time with him. But for some, it's very much what you cherish is resources. And I'm not gonna manipulate you about it, but we're simply stewards, not owners. Just like Abraham, we will be tested. And just like Abraham, we've gotta be willing to sacrifice believing that God is Jehovah Jireh, that God is our provider. It's as a church, why we we look at what we do and we say all the time, look, church is not gathering and doing this. We are the church wanting to be a blessing to advance kingdom work. It's why even during a pandemic, back in October, we launched something called the neighborhood. We know that there's plenty of people that won't darken the doors of a place like this. 
But what they will do is come to a place where they can get a meal and find some community. And by the way, those that are part of that, you're doing an incredible job. I love how the first week there were six people and they're like, oh man, this boy, that's a bummer. And now it's packed every week. And you guys are doing an incredible job. Why would we take on tutoring? Yes, it costs money. Yes, it takes energy. Yes, we provide a meal and snacks and all that stuff. Yes, that happens, but guess what? We also know that kids have been struggling during a pandemic. And if we can help them feel successful and cared for, it'll help them see Jesus. Over, why, why would we talk about the expansion of our facility? Because we want to make room for people to join God's family. Why would we continue to dream when we have iHeart and go, some of, you, some of you guys went, what is iHeart? I keep hearing iHeart. We finally said, put a video together that describes it. So we did. But it's this picture of what it looks like to serve in our community sacrificially so people can see God's love demonstrated through us doing work projects all throughout our county. That's what we're going to do. We believe statistics can change. We believe Christ is the difference between hope and hopelessness. We believe we have a responsibility individually, as families where we live, the workplaces that we go, but also as a church together to continue to invest in things that are eternal. And that's our heart over and over. I know you hear language like this, but we say it takes all of us for we to win. In most organizations, there's a principle called the 80-20 principle. Some of you know what this means. It means 80% of what gets done gets done by 20% of the people. That should not be the body of Christ. And yet most churches fall prey to that because people don't take seriously what I'm talking about today. We say we give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. What does that look like for you? I'm not asking you to do something I don't do. I'm not bragging about what I do, but my wife and I are generous and sacrificial. And sure, there's plenty of things we could have bought over the years with all what we've been able to give. But you know what? Big deal. We want to get blessed to things that are eternal. It's a challenge for all of us. We will lead the way with irrational generosity is another part of our code. We believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. This last week, we had a board meeting on Wednesday and we got to welcome some people into membership. And I love being able to do that. But I want you to know that if you're one of those that walked through the journey of membership, you filled out the membership application, I read every word of your application. But you know what I noticed when we talked about things that we asked people to take steps in? We talk about serving, we talk about getting connected in groups and, and, and being part of belonging. We talk about also giving. But you know what I noticed in part of that? That over and over people said, you know what, I've seen God provide as I give. We don't give to get, but they've learned the principle, God is our provider. And I would challenge any of us, when you look at how Abraham lived, passing that test, the tension should be in all of our hearts. What does it look like for us to be generous, to pass that test, watching how God provides? And there were a bunch of, there were stories I should have wrote them all down, but I didn't want to use people's examples. Hey, that was me. Anyway, um, so I didn't. But there were a bunch of stories where people had said, I, I learned how to give from early on, or I just, I took this on, but I've seen God provide all the time. And somebody even said it this way. Things at times have been tight, but I've always seen God provide. 
It's a reminder. It's a testimony to all of us. I've said enough. I know you're like, is he done yet? I get it. But let's make sure that we have the attitude of Abraham. Here I am. The attitude I remember from me as a young believer in Jesus 30 years ago, God working me. Letting the spirit challenge us to be sacrificial, whether time, talents, all that stuff, but also money is part of that conversation. God, I pray that this isn't manipulation. It's helping us understand we're stewards. And I pray for open hearts. I pray for open, I pray that we would leave here and even go, God, what, would, what does that mean for me? I'm not gonna tell, hey, it's for you, it's this amount, and you, it's that. For God, I pray for all of us to walk out of here prayerfully considering what does it look like for me to pass the test of generosity, to pass the test of, of willing, willing to surrender and sacrifice what's mine, God, that I can see you provide, see you do amazing things. God, you are our provider and you promise, but you challenge us to take steps on this journey. I pray for each of us to respond to that. In your name, God, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.